Welcome to P5 Protocols. Our mission is to provide you with ideas and answers to two age-old dilemmas of I'm sick now what? And I seriously need to improve my health and performance, what to do and how to do it. We do not provide medical nor high-performance advice, nor do we want to tell you what to do, but we do introduce people, companies, and ideas that currently help some, may soon help many, and certainly give hope. As a society, we are at the verge of figuring out what best works for each and every one of us, so we hope you will keep joining us in our journey through this world of healing and high performance at www.p5protocols.com or on Twitter at P5Health. I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Abdul Slocum of the Chemothermia Clinic in Istanbul, Turkey. I first heard of Dr. Slocum through Dr. Thomas Seyfried, who last year was guest number two on the P5 Protocols podcast. Dr. Seyfried had just come back from a conference where Dr. Slocum had presented and had reams of data, pictures, and scans of patients who had done particularly well in his protocol that mixed traditional therapies with metabolic support, such as hyperbaric oxygen therapy, a ketogenic diet, as used by Dr. Chris Smith, who was in episode 14, insulin before chemo, hyperthermia, meaning high heat, and other methods. You can find the team, multiple testimonials, and the basics of their approach at chemothermia at www.chemothermia.com. Their data, which we have not verified, but some of which has been published, has led to a longer and higher quality of life for many. Though note that most of their patients already are stage four when they arrive and thus often come to them when near hospice care. Dr. Slocum and his team never promised full health, but assuming their reported outcomes are accurate, they are materially better than typical Western care. Certainly, there are many ideas to consider that in many types of cancer have been shown to improve outcomes, such as the ketogenic diet, which has been used by even some major medical institutions in this country for over 50 years. On a side note, the quality of this podcast is quite poor. I cannot get Dr. Slocum to the U.S. as he does not typically come here. Going to our website and getting the transcript may be your best bet. I promise you, no more podcasts of this audio quality. And with that, here's my interview with Dr. Abdul Slocum of the Chemothermia Clinic in Istanbul, Turkey. Welcome to the next edition of P5 Protocols. I am very fortunate to have here today Dr. Abdul Slocum, who is an oncologist in Istanbul, Turkey, and has a what I would call a uh, more advanced approach. Uh, to treating cancer that is inclusive of both theories. And before I go any further, I'm actually going to introduce you here. Thank you for joining me. And Thank you. Thanks, David. Thanks for uh, inviting me to your interview. It's a pleasure. Uh, and uh, especially because the other people who we had uh, last fall on our podcast uh, keep referring to you uh, and the results you're having. Um, and, um, and so, you know, you and I have had several conversations leading up to this, so I'm just very excited to finally have you on the show. Thank you. So I'd love it if you could, um, start and give us a, a background, um, of you, um, briefly. I mean, you're originally from the U S even though you grew up in Turkey. Um, and, um, sure. and, and, and perhaps just briefly give us your background and how you came to your approach. And, and, and that would be a great way to just set things up for our audience. Yeah, of course. Uh, I'm uh, Dr. Tuslok from Istanbul, Turkey. As you said, I'm originally from the United States. My uh, family uh, came to Istanbul many years ago. And I uh, was born and grew up in Istanbul. Uh, uh, I completed my medical education in Istanbul, Turkey also. Uh, besides myself, mainly, uh, I would like to uh, introduce our clinic and our team. We are Kimosermi Ankara Center, uh, located in Istanbul. Our clinic was mainly founded by 
two physicians, uh, Professor Bülent Berkar'da and Assistant Professor Mehmet Sali İlkesici. Uh, and those who are medical oncologists. And uh, I'll uh, like to also shortly explain uh, these uh, two physicians' history, especially uh, Professor Bülent Berkar'da. He's currently uh, right now 87 years old and uh, he uh, is the first medical oncologist in the Turkish nation and founded oncology in Turkey back in the 70s. He uh, completed his medical oncology residency in the United States at the University of Rochester, actually. So uh, following that, he came to uh, his homeland and founded oncology in Turkey. Now, uh, how uh, did we come uh, to applying uh, such therapies? Now, uh, uh, Professor Bakarda is practicing oncology right now for over 40 years or so. And uh, Dr. Sali, uh, he also is practicing oncology for over 20 years or so now. And uh, how did we come to this? The main thing is uh, all of us uh, have came to a point with being unsatisfied with the outcomes achieved with standard protocols and started asking questions. We believed in the treatments that we applied, uh, such as conventional therapies, but we also saw the shortcomings of these treatments also, the seldom outcomes uh, that we achieved. So, we started asking questions. The main question was, how can we improve our outcomes? And then we started reading, reading research publications and uh, also the history uh, behind cancer and how uh, the, uh, the story behind all the therapies. And uh, while doing this, uh, we uh, came across the uh, metabolic theory behind uh, cancer, uh, which was first uh, explained by Otto Warburg back in the 1920s. And uh, we uh, believed in his theory and started reading further about this subject. And uh, with years uh, of work in this field, we uh, came about a treatment protocol that combines uh, treatments both uh, targeting the genetic defects seen in cancer cells, but also mainly uh, the metabolic dysregulation that's seen in these cells also. So uh, what I can say is uh, we, as a team, uh, in conventional medicine, it's also that cancer is a genetic disease. And, and as a thing, we believe in this also. We believe that uh, cancer cells, differently from other cells, have uh, a more frequent, we uh, see in genetic defects compared to normal cells. Meanwhile, what we say is that these genetic defects are downstream effects of metabolic dysregulation seen in uh, cancer cells also. So, uh, what we say is for effective treatment, the uh, main target must be targeting this metabolic dysregulation seen in these cells, which we do together while we're also targeting the downstream genetic defects seen in these cells with conventional therapeutics. So, uh, in our treatment, we combine treatments uh, uh, uh, that both target genetic defects, but also target the metabolic dysregulation. So we combine the uh, metabolic hypothesis of cancer together with the genetic hypothesis of cancer, also in our treatment. And that's the main uniqueness of our clinic. As conventional physicians, we both apply conventional therapy, but also complementary therapies which target the metabolic dysregulation of cancer cells. Yeah, so, so as I mentioned in a call we had, I think back in June, that um, some people have said that your preference would to just be using metabolic approaches. And as you said in that call, that is not the case at all. 
Um, <laughs> maybe just we have many, many, go, no, go ahead. We have many questions that come across us about this. Uh, in our experience, what we can uh, say is uh, there is a war against cancer, a war for blind war, and uh, this war isn't being won, unfortunately. So what we say is, uh, to win the war, we have to combine every therapy that's reported to be beneficial. Uh, everybody uh, must leave their uh, feelings and personal preferences aside and combine everything that can be beneficial to win the war. So uh, in our medical experience, we see uh, when used uh, at the correct time, all conventional therapies are beneficial. Meanwhile, we also uh, see and extensively use uh, complementary therapies, uh, such as uh, something that's seen very basic as a ketogenic diet, but which we find very, very important. We use, we use hypothermia, we use hyperbaric oxygen, we use supplements. And uh, this is, uh, as a basic example, what I can say is now, uh, cancer is a disease dedicated to harm the person it's uh, growing them. Now, this is just like uh, fighting a professional boxer. Cancer is a, a professional boxer, and I've never been uh, trained in uh, fighting. So if I fight them alone, the boxer will knock me out. Meanwhile, uh, you, me, maybe uh, a couple other uh, guys get together, we can knock the guy out. Uh, even uh, somebody that seems to be very weak, which maybe can be an example like the bio, can be seen very, uh, very small thing. Meanwhile, when these small things get together, it turns into a big strength against the disease. And then uh, what we see is when these uh, small things are gathered up together, uh, this big guy can be knocked out. That's a great analogy. Um, so, so let's, so, so I'd love to briefly talk about the types of patients you get and then get into the actual protocol that you use. And I know you adapt it to each patient, um, but love to maybe start with who comes to you. Like it's far, Istanbul is far, um, more far, I think not in distance, but in time and energy of travel, especially for someone ill, um, of course, of course. Like what I can say is, uh, we have patients from anywhere in the world. We have patients from the United States, from Europe, from our home country, Turkey, from China, from uh, New Zealand, uh, Australia, Israel, anywhere. Meanwhile, uh, percentage-wise, uh, foreign and uh, Turkish is fifty-fifty. Uh, so around 50% of our patients are international patients. Uh, meanwhile, uh, country-wise, uh, of course, uh, around 75% of the patients, uh, international patients, are from uh, countries uh, that are in a four-hour flight distance to them. Okay. And uh, around 25% of patients are from farther. Uh, in uh, some conditions, distance can be important for basic uh, dental uh, procedures or, or sometimes uh, aesthetic uh, plastic surgery. Distance can be important. Meanwhile, in a disease that's threatening a person's life, generally uh, distance isn't much of a concern for such patients if their well-being uh, is good enough to fly. Yep. Uh, that's what I see. If, if, uh, and if a patient is fit to fly, uh, no matter the distance, they come. And uh, about uh, their uh, disease condition about patients, uh, around uh, over 80% of our patients, uh, around 90% of our patients are stage 4 patients, and, uh, unfortunately. And uh, because uh, 
patients, they start looking uh, for more effective therapies after uh, progressing uh, under standard treatments, and then they find us. We, of course, wish that they uh, find, uh, have found us much earlier uh, at their initial diagnosis, but they find us uh, at a more advanced state. And uh, to patients that we believe will be of help, we accept them for treatment and take them on and try to give help to whoever comes. Yeah. And, and so of the stage four, I think you said early in a previous conversation, a lot of them have had, the majority of them have had a lot of treatments already. So they're, yes. So a lot of them presumably are coming to you in a weakened state. Yeah, yeah, of course. Like, uh, generally, uh, our patients, uh, most of the patients, uh, are patients that have received uh, prior treatments. And uh, uh, they progress under standard uh, therapies uh, uh, and uh, have come to us uh, for treatment. Of course, these patients, uh, because they have uh, recurrent disease, they are resistance issues also. Meanwhile, uh, in our uh, treatment, uh, what we see is uh, sometimes uh, a patient comes at such a stage that they receive any possible drug, uh, may it be chemotherapy or immunotherapy. Uh, then, uh, so uh, all of our drug choices have already been used and applied to the patient. What we do is uh, Sometimes we're left with starting the patient on the same chemotherapy protocol that they've already received before, but in our application method, which we named metabolic support chemotherapy, combined with our complementary therapies. And uh, sometimes, uh, even though the patient is receiving the same drugs that they received before and have progressed on, in our application, in this uh, combined treatment protocol, Sometimes uh, patients respond very well, and some of them even go into remission. Because in our protocol, the, of course, uh, drug choice, uh, chemotherapy uh, choice is very important. Meanwhile, what you're doing, you aren't applying only chemotherapy. You're applying uh, many treatments together, uh, so it's uh, a total different approach. It's just like uh, my uh, analogy a couple of minutes ago about the box room. Uh, I might have been knocked out before from that box room, but then you, me, and a couple other small guys are together, you might knock them out. Uh, well, uh, uh, so, drug choice is important, but even a patient that has progressed under any uh, treatment uh, that they received before, uh, even if they receive sometimes the same drugs, uh, there is a, uh, they have a chance, and we've seen it in many patients to respond uh, to uh, such a product. Okay, so so you have um, you have patients, they come to you, or a patient comes to you, and they are stage four, yes. and um, they are going to get um, your combination of therapies. Um, first of all, just talk briefly, when, when you sit down with a patient, because um, I'd imagine a lot of them are upset. They don't want to be on chemo anymore. They don't. What What is the other difference in terms of side effects when someone comes to you and they get the same chemotherapy and yet you give them supportive treatment? Do they typically have much fewer side effects is my understanding or? Yes. Uh, now, this is an important question. Now, when a patient comes to us or goes to any health center, what, what do people want? People uh, go to a medical uh, center to feel better, actually, uh, uh, and live longer. Now, uh, when a patient comes to us, we tell them that we're on the same side of the table. We're, uh, we have a disease against us that uh, we want to fight together. And, uh, in our experience, uh, when uh, we apply chemotherapy together with com uh, our complementary therapies, one side effect wise, uh, almost uh, all of our patients uh, 
respond much better compared to the prior experience with chemotherapy. Uh, because of uh, many patients are in passage, uh, like most of them come to us, as we have patients that come to us that are in severe pain and that are on morphine or other narcotic medications. Uh, and uh, in our treatment protocol, uh, most of these patients, they some of them respond so quickly that at the end of the first cycle of treatment, they're off all of their pain medications. And uh, we see this very frequently. Uh, and uh, side effect wise, uh, nausea, vomiting, uh, is, uh, it, it's, I can't say it's not seen, it is seen and it can be seen. Meanwhile, uh, it's seen much less compared to standard uh, treatments. And uh, so the treatment is much more tolerable, is what I can say. And so, but you're, you know, as you said earlier, you're still a very big believer in using the treatments, but your range, um, the, the amount of chemo you may give, can you, can you explain your, yeah. your, your approach there? Now, now what we uh, do is, yes, we apply conventional chemotherapy. Meanwhile, our chemotherapy application method is different from standard chemotherapy. What is it? We apply uh, chemotherapy in a metabolically supported fashion is what uh, is how we name it. Uh, so its name is metabolically supported chemotherapy. What is this? Uh, this is the patient uh, fasting prior to chemotherapy, a minimum 12 hour fast prior to chemotherapy. And also it combines insulin application prior to uh, chemotherapeutic drug application. Uh, and uh, so the patient comes into our clinic uh, when they're coming in for chemotherapy, they come in in a fasting state and also uh, we check their blood sugar levels, then we apply insulin to lower their blood sugar levels even more to cause acute metabolic stress to cancer cells and then we apply chemotherapy. Dosage wise, now uh, in every, for every chemotherapeutic drug, there is a dose range uh, given in medical guidelines for each diagnosis. It will say, in this diagnosis, you shall use this medication between 60 milligrams meter squares to 100 milligrams meter squares. Or, uh, so there's a dose range. Generally, uh, we prefer uh, the uh, lowest uh, dose recommended in guidelines uh, for patients. So uh, we apply treatment in, uh, in the dose range recommended in guidelines. Meanwhile, uh, in guidelines, it leaves uh, exact dose application to the physician's uh, choice, and we tend to uh, apply chemotherapy at the lower dose scale. And, and what does typically in, in the U.S., or in the, is, is that typically at the very high end, or... Or in Europe, and, or and, uh, and worldwide, uh, uh, there are very slight differences between uh, American and European guidelines. They are generally the same, and all drugs are the same also. In any uh, standard uh, uh, clinic, uh, generally uh, for higher efficacy, but, uh, as physicians, we prefer to apply the highest dose uh, possible that the patient can tolerate. Uh, that's a general approach because if the patient can tolerate it, why not give more uh, weaponry against the disease, uh, which will increase our chances for the patient to respond. Uh, but our approach is uh, much different than that kind. What we see is, uh, even uh, when we're applying uh, treatment at a lower dose scale, our response rates uh, uh, can be much higher because of the combined therapies. And, and I recall you saying that um, you you can actually keep someone on because you've minimized side effects. You can keep someone on longer. Yes, uh, uh, we have patients on uh, maintenance treatment for with chemotherapy for many several years, and uh, in uh, standard chemotherapy, uh, tolerance will be a serious issue, and uh, so. Uh, long-term application-wise, the patient can tolerate such high doses. Meanwhile, in our experience, 
because initially we were applying treatment at the lower dose scale recommended in medical guidelines, also combined with uh, complementary therapies. Uh, the tolerance is much better and uh, it can be applied uh, for much, much longer time than ever expected. Uh, so, uh, yes, patients are able to receive treatment for uh, much longer time uh, than uh, you don't expect compared to standard treatments. So, so if someone comes to you, and because I've listened to a bunch of your testimonials and seen some of the case studies, um, and there and all cancer disappears sometimes very yes. quick sometimes very quickly yes. how much longer would you keep that person on a chemotherapeutic or you know or other you know standard drug to prevent recurrence and what's your aftercare yes uh, initially uh, this will change for every patient uh, because it's based upon uh, the patient's prior treatments there uh, also, this is burden when we start the treatment and the staging everything. And meanwhile, uh, uh, generally, uh, treatment will be uh, intense for a full year, and uh, then uh, slowly after completing the year of treatment, uh, the treatment will still continue, but in a much different schedule. Uh, also. In our treatment, uh, the initial three months, uh, just as any treatment, uh, the initial three months is very important. Uh, when the patient comes to us, uh, we'll initially do a workup to them, which will uh, mainly, besides blood counts, mainly will be with a PET CT scan. And uh, based on that, then uh, following that, we'll uh, start the patient's treatment. And at the end of three months, uh, a follow-up and CT scan will be done. And based on uh, that follow-up scan for the treatment, it will be planned uh, for the patient. And every three months, a PET-CT scan evaluation will be done uh, to evaluate the patient's response and condition. Okay. And and if you um, see nothing, like, in other words, so let, let's say you see, after three months, you see nothing, you do another three months, you see nothing, is that and, uh, after each after each PET-CT scan, uh, the patient's treatment dosing and schedule will be reevaluated. Got it. So the, uh, sometimes the schedule will be the same, but the dosing will decrease. Sometimes the uh, dosing will stay the same, but the uh, time between each cycle will be longer. Uh, that's based upon uh, the patient's individual condition. But following each PET-CT scan. Uh, uh, every aspect of the patient's treatment will be evaluated. Got it. Okay, so let's perhaps let's talk a little bit about um, the combination uh, of the things you do because some people may listen to this and say, "I want to do certain things now," or um, or certain things alongside, and I can't get to you. Um, yes. And these are non. Uh, I, I actually do a lot of these things on my own. I occasionally, not frequently enough, but occasionally do hyperbaric oxygen. I'm on a very low carb diet. Uh, I have an infrared sauna in my house, which I probably don't use enough lately, but I go through cycles. Um, so, um, okay. So we talked about your, the way you're, um, using insulin, uh, and, and some minimum fasting before chemo. What are the ongoing things that not without what, what I would call the non-invasive things? So hyperbaric oxygen, which I guess we can talk. These some of these things are yes. pretty quick. But how often would someone get hyperbaric oxygen? Mm -hmm. uh, like uh, uh, this will uh, can change patient by patient, but generally twice for uh, three times a week. And is that two and a half hours typically? Uh, no, each session will be an hour. And and that is that is that a twenty nine psi or what is the you know so if someone's uh, going to look at a system that they would be in or how many atmospheres? Uh, no, we, we use uh, mild uh, hyperbaric chambers, 
so we'll work at 7 psi only. 70, okay. So 7, 7. Okay. And, um, okay, so that's hyperbaric oxygen. Then um, hypothermia, you're using a machine that you have on your website that I was not previously familiar with. And and how do how do these? We're using. Uh, we're using uh, we have hypothermia uh, devices from two different companies. Uh, one is uh, Heka. Uh, the other is Onkosan. Onkosan devices are they uh, use for uh, local hypothermia. It's a Hungarian device and very widely used in Germany. And uh, it's uh, an electrohypothermia device. It uses electromagnetic waves uh, and focusing them uh, on the thermal tissue to increase the local heat in that area. And HECAL devices are, uh, to my knowledge, German devices and uh, again, widely used in Germany. And this HECAL devices we use for whole body hypothermia. And uh, this is mainly uh, used uh, with infrared lights. So, HECAN uh, uh, is infrared hypothermia, and ONCOTAN is for local and works uh, with electromagnetic waves. And and if someone so how so then if someone's coming to you and they're there with you with you for three months, how often are they doing these yes. treatments? Uh, it's mainly based upon their. Uh, Chemotherapy schedule. And some, in some diagnosis, the, the patient would need, the protocol would be for 10 days on, 10 days off, kind of regime. And uh, some uh, diagnosis would be 3 days on, 10 days off, kind of. Uh, and on the 10 day regime, uh, generally uh, on the first day, on the eighth day, the patient will be receiving chemotherapy. And uh, on the day and the following days of chemotherapy, uh, in a 10-day uh, time period, they'll receive uh, five hyperbaric oxygen sessions uh, and uh, five hypothermia sessions. And uh, every day, uh, the patient will be receiving support to the infusion of therapies. And uh, they'll also be on their ketogenic diet, always, uh, during and after cycle, all, all the time. And they'll also be using supplements, uh, always. So, so the supplement therapy, so the are those mostly infusion or a combination of oral and infusion? Uh, now, uh, our, the supplements will be uh, oral uh, medications uh, that we recommend, uh, which will have high concentration of uh, natural lactam constituents. But besides these supplements, the patients will also be receiving Fusional therapies, uh, which will uh, be high dose vitamin C, DNSO, and sometimes conventional medications to decrease, uh, uh, minimize the treatment uh, side effects. At the, uh, so the patient will be coming into the clinic every day, and uh, they will be evaluated by our medical team or uh, a physician from our team. And based on the patient's daily condition, and sometimes the patient can say, I have some nausea, then these infusions will be arranged according to that. And sometimes they, they might say, I have some pain today. And uh, then medication uh, for that to be applied, infusionally. This part of our treatment is very important actually for us because uh, com compared to standard conventional settings where patients are seen by the physician, uh, once every three weeks or once every two weeks. In our approach, we see our patient every day uh, while they're uh, during the treatment cycle. So if they're uh, uh, 10 days on, 10 days off, uh, during the 10 day on uh, treatment period, uh, the patient will be able to see uh, their physician every day. And uh, uh, every day, based on their condition, and that treatment will be individualized uh, for their condition. And uh, besides, uh, this uh, has many, uh, a very important part, uh, not only uh, regarding uh, treatment the patient's daily condition, but 
and forming a healing relationship with their physician because the connection between a physician and a patient we see uh, as a, one of the most important part in the healing process for a patient. So uh, we uh, see our patients every day and try to form uh, that healing relationship and uh, live that journey uh, together with each patient. Hmm. And have you, since you're looking at everything and you're doing a lot of things that bring oxygen into the system, uh, are you yes. have have you looked at just in a purely supportive way, uh, meditation, breathing, things that stimulate? Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, we do very much believe in that. I'd be uh, recommended to our patients, uh, and uh, the, uh, like I said. For some patients, I, uh, in Turkey, this isn't much common, but uh, for our group, some, some of my European patients, I sent them to a breathing therapist also. I, uh, we, as a medical team, we very much believe in this. And uh, we uh, also try to guide our patients, both uh, regarding medication or sort of breathing uh, therapists-wise also. Hmm. Excellent. And on the ketogenic diet, which you recommend, you have a slightly different version, I know, than um, some other people I've mm-hmm. talked to. And can you just talk about that? It's a little more I'll, I'll talk, open. I'll talk about this uh, very uh, suddenly. Like, uh, the diet uh, in our uh, approach is very, a very important part uh, in our protocol. And uh, it's... Uh, our diet can uh, change patient by patient based on the individual condition of the patient, their general well-being while starting the treatment, also their diagnosis. Uh, the uh, ketogenic diet, there are different versions that can be applied. And uh, if a patient is a GBM patient, uh, the, uh, a restricted ketogenic diet is what we uh, highly recommend. And uh, but uh, for a patient that uh, sometimes we have very advanced patients that come to us, let's say, uh, well, they're 35 kilogram, kilograms and they uh, are hardly able to walk. For these patients, of course, we aren't able to uh, apply a restricted For these such patients, we apply a modified ketogenotan where uh, it's actually a modified diet uh, where we aim for minimum carbs, so uh, no uh, pure carbs taken, but uh, the patient has uh, unlimited fat and uh, protein as much as they can uh, eat. Uh, so, uh, based on the diagnosis, the, the diet being applied uh, changes, uh, it's an individualized approach. Uh, and, uh, so, but the underlying principle will always be uh, minimum carbohydrate and the fat and protein percentage will change uh, individually based on the patient's condition. But the basic principle will be always minimum carbs because the main energy source of uh, cancer is uh, glucose. Yep. Understood. So, um, Maybe we talk a little bit about your results. Um, of course. Because they're um, pretty amazing. Uh, yes, look, uh, I'll start out with uh, now as a clinic. Uh, we uh, started out uh, with asking questions, and, uh, and the main question was how can we improve outcomes? And, as a team, we've always been interested in uh, seeing if we're improving uh, the outcomes of patients suffering from the most deadly of all diseases. And uh, until now, we've uh, published uh, three uh, papers uh, with patients receiving that protocol. And currently, uh, as a team, we're working on uh, publishing four more. Uh, papers uh, this year, currently uh, we've written them up and uh, we'll hopefully be publishing uh, these four uh, papers in a year of time. Uh, 
about uh, our first publication that uh, our treatment protocol was back in uh, 2016 uh, in stage three and four uh, pancreatic cancer patients, and uh, such uh, and such a diagnosis, uh, the uh, median survival time uh, expected is uh, six to eleven months, and uh, in our uh, publication back at that time. We published about uh, 34 patients that received treatment uh, at our clinic, and uh, the uh, median survival time uh, that we achieved was 19.5 months, so much, much longer than uh, standard uh, treatment. And uh, in this diagnosis, there are mainly two chemotherapy regimens that will be used once one is against the base protocol, another is uh, 14 months. And these protocols, the one year survival rate uh, is uh, 20% to 48.4%, which is uh, based upon our uh, medical guidelines, what we expect in such a patient. The one year survival rate in our patient group uh, was 82.5%. So uh, a much higher one-year survival rate and a much longer median survival time. And, and, and, and, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm sorry to interrupt, but how do you break that down between people who have come to you already through a lot versus those who have yes. come to you earlier before their body? Because I know several people yes. have been through and it's pretty abusive therapy. Yes, um, of like uh, patients that uh, come to us as the uh, as the first resort, uh, so then we're applying uh, treatment when the patient receiving treatment the first time from us. These patients respond much better, of course. Meanwhile, patients that have gone through multiple uh, therapies before, uh, even though they respond uh, uh, less compared to patients receiving treatment the first time, again their response rates are higher uh, compared to standard treatments. In this patient group, uh, uh, uh, paper, some patients uh, have also received primary therapy, uh, maybe surgery uh, or chemotherapy also. And uh, in that patient group, 81% uh, have metastatic disease, uh, so uh, stage 4 patients. And uh, so pancreatic cancer is the most, uh, one of the most aggressive diagnoses, unfortunately. And, and that patient group, uh, we uh, published uh, the longest survival time ever published worldwide, and uh, uh, achieved with 33 patients. And uh, we also uh, published two case reports. One was uh, regarding the stage 3 rectal cancer patient. And uh, the reason we uh, published uh, about that patient was uh, there were two reasons mainly. One was the patient was 81 years old. So uh, at that age, generally, patients aren't seen eligible for any sort of treatment because of their age. Uh, so we wanted to show that uh, patients at that age will also be eligible to treatment uh, in our approach. And uh, besides that, uh, the only uh, curative approach uh, published about rectal cancer uh, is surgery. This patient uh, came to us uh, at that age, and she was one of the first chemists of uh, the Turkish nation. And uh, she was 81 years old when she came to us. She and he uh, said, uh, I'll prefer to pass away, uh, but not have any surgery. Uh, if there's any, anything that can be done to treat my condition without surgery, I'm open to it. And uh, so please uh, try to treat me. And uh, we applied a, a chemoradiotherapy protocol combined with hypothermia uh, and our complementary therapies at that time. 
and uh, she uh, granted the complete response and we published that uh, paper uh, after she was in complete response for 27 months and then she was healthy and alive and that paper uh, showed that the non-surgical treatment and the achievement of complete response uh, in uh, a stage three rectal cancer patient is possible. And uh, I'll especially like to remind you that this patient uh, was 81 years old and unfortunately patients at that age because of the heaviness of standard, standard approach because they won't be able to tolerate it and they generally don't receive any sort of treatment. Uh, meanwhile, she tolerated our treatment very, very well and uh, went into complete response on the mission. And uh, our third publication uh, we did last year, and uh, we wrote that paper together with uh, Professor Thomas Chaykwood, uh, a good friend of mine. And we uh, published regarding a triple negative breast cancer patient. Uh, who was 29 years old and uh, there are many subtypes of breast cancer and supernegative is one of the most aggressive uh, types and uh, we, uh, she uh, was a patient that came to us at a very advanced stage, an end stage patient with uh, widespread uh, disease, uh, very large tumor in the liver also in dominant region and uh, in that publication, we uh, showed that uh, a patient, even at such an advanced stage, uh, is treatable. And uh, at the end of three months, she went into remission. Uh, she had complete response to her treatment. And we continued her uh, follow-up maintenance treatment after that also. So, uh, until now, we made three publications, uh, and, uh, these being the pancreatic cancer, rectal cancer, and breast cancer. And uh, in these papers, uh, we uh, explained uh, our approach and we tried to show that outcomes uh, can be improved with a wider uh, approach to treating uh, such patients. And uh, our protocol in all of these uh, patients' uh, treatment is uh, based upon uh, metabolic-supported chemotherapy, hyperthermia, hyperbaric oxygen, a ketogenic diet, uh, together with uh, the patient's uh, good mood uh, is very important also. And uh, when we came to this point, I would also like to share that. Uh, the will to live uh, is very important, uh, the mood of the patient. Sometimes the patient will come to us at a very advanced stage, but they will be eagerly looking for treatment and that wish to receive treatment. And uh, we'll take that patient on, and uh, sometimes the patient that's at a much earlier stage of disease, but in a negative mood, uh, the more advanced patient, surprisingly, will do much better <laughs> compared to a patient that much earlier stage sometimes. So, uh, that uh, will to live and uh, positive attitude is very important also in our experience. Yeah, no, it's... Uh... It, it's, it can be everything <laughs> for some people. It's, it's, it's, it's actually everything. Like, uh, we often, it's everything. Like, uh, we tell the patient, uh, and, uh, and to my knowledge, uh, and to our uh, clinic's knowledge, uh, the treatment that we're applying uh, is uh, a treatment that gives the best chance to the patient. Meanwhile, we tell the patient, and, uh, why, why do I say it is the best chance? Because we combine everything uh, that has scientific evidence beside, uh, behind it, uh, both conventional and also complementary ones. Meanwhile, even though our protocol combines everything possible, we tell the patient that we say, 
the things that we do can only be at the maximum 49% of your treatment. 59% is in your hand. It's, it's your approach to treatment and your uh, attitude. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, more than half, uh, the treatment is in the patient's hand. Well, that's actually... That's actually, I love that because you're, you're empowering the patient. Some people may find that daunting. And, you know, one, one of the things that I, as, as I've spent a lot of time over the years in the microbiome, and that is when you get these radical treatments, and then a lot of patients wind up on antibiotics and you're killing off a lot of the good bacteria that, um, that, that naturally create a lot of the neurotransmitters that might make you optimistic. Um, so it's like a double, it's a double whammy because you're, we, we forget that hope and other things can be, or, you know, are at least supported by natural chemicals that should be occurring in the body. Um, and, and so it's, so that's why what I like by giving oxygen therapies, you're supporting other good, good bacteria and things that you're just increasing the odds. So, um, And, and I know that there have been studies on immunotherapy uh, and looking at uh, microbiome diversity in the gut and tying them very close to survival rates. And, and I would imagine that while, while, while we've never discussed it, I, mean, I, wouldn't just, I wouldn't suspect that you're checking the microbiome on a regular basis. I would be very curious um, to know, and, and certain studies in the future, whether it's yours or others that copy, I'm sure will look at, at diversity in the gut and that's impact as well. Um, yeah, yeah I think that would be an important uh, point uh, to research in these patients also. Now this, this has been wonderful. Um, as I said to you before we started, I may come back to you, uh, yeah, maybe even to do an addendum to this. Uh,
when uh, writing the uh, uh, transcript, uh, if if you can uh, uh, write it as a uh, T and like uh, like uh, today we interviewed Dr. Abdusrokun from uh, Kimasan Yankaji Center and stuff. Uh, that would be better. Yeah. Uh, like don't don't. Uh, I don't want it only focused on me. I I well understand. I totally understand that it's a yeah, team approach. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a team, and uh, it's it's not on, it's not my uh, own. So uh, and, uh, when it's, uh, it's not, like it should be presented on like that's important because especially like Professor Berkard is eighty seven now, like uh, he's, uh, he has a own health problems also, so. Like uh, you never know. Uh, so uh, when uh, like he, uh, his experience uh, uh, has uh, brought us a lot. Uh, and, uh, like uh, when, when something is like presented like without him, it's uh, it can be hard breaking for him or my other colleague Dr. Salih also. We're a team. Uh, so, uh, I I completely understand, and and I will make sure in the notes and everything and the link to your yeah. website and and yeah. everything. So uh, we you, uh, we interviewed the doctor Abdul Slogan from Kimosan uh, Yankaji Center, and uh, that, that's the that's the best way. Okay, you got. I absolutely will. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. If any questions come, up, or any, uh, if you need to do another another recording or if you want to add on anything in the subject, email me. We'll share. Wonderful. Thank you. You're welcome. You have a nice day. You too. This has been an amazing interview for me. Having lost my father to cancer in 2011, and recently my aunt at 85 years of age, I have a particular interest. As someone who was long ago diagnosed with an autoimmune condition, I have an increased risk of cancer. But my zeal for this podcast and investment efforts really stems from a desire to help others figure out the best yet least invasive ways to improve outcomes with one focus, peak health not just remission, not just good health, peak health. The world needs more people with an audacious goal, with a grounded approach. I recently came from Shanghai where I attended an Abundance 360 conference. There were some great futurists and people doing novel things in technology. They are also doing a lot in longevity. Their goal is to get people to live to 180 years of age with age 120 as a stop that can be achieved in the near term. This would include a better health span as well. I love these futurists and am inspired by them. I had some great ideas that came out of it. These conferences also emboldened me to always think bigger. But for my father, my sister who passed away last year, and countless others I know, I want doctors and other providers who have figured out combinations, or as I like to call them, adaptable protocols, they're getting results now while we wait for the futurists and technologists and researchers to create that future. I am what I might call a pragmatic Pollyanna. I do not believe that a cancer or Alzheimer's or ALS diagnosis means you're going to die. Up to a point, and a very advanced point at that, there is always an opportunity to heal or to live longer with a better quality of life. For the life of me, I cannot understand why doctors, particularly at major medical institutions, do not use the tools and protocols that Abdul Slocum and his mentors have developed the chemothermia, particularly because they are based on protocols developed here in the U.S. These non-invasive supportive therapies add to quality of life big time, and they lower the odds of complications and side effects while giving the patient longer periods while he or she can stay on the therapy, thus increasing the odds of success. What are these doctors afraid of? What is the risk to them? 
The treatments are quite inexpensive and have near zero risk, but they don't have consistent results because they are not consistently or rather methodically and adaptively applied. Lastly, they do not have a clinical trial to prove them. And as I discovered long ago for most doctors, if there is no clinical trial, there is nothing to try. We can get into incentives and who makes money, and we can also get into the risks of being sued and put out of business. But the fact is, for cancer and other serious patients, there must be real-time low-risk trial and error. We must rapidly develop adaptive protocols, or in this case, use and improve what Dr. Slocum and his colleagues, both at chemothermia and in the broader metabolic therapy community, have already created. And last I checked, there are some major medical institutions that started using ketogenic diets in the 50s. Somehow, we have come to view cancer strictly as a genetic disease. From a common sense perspective, that myopic theory holds little weight and effectively has been disproved. Same as a carbohydrate-based diet in the U.S. has led to us having two-thirds of our population anywhere from pre-diabetic to morbidly obese. Make a point of registering on our Medium page and subscribing to our Twitter feed. We can always be found at www.p5protocols.com and for our investment business at www.p5hv.com. At P5 Health Ventures, we are investing in the very platforms that will pull all of these great treatments and diagnostics onto one platform that can truly know exactly what works for each person and at what time. We call this disease management and on a preventive basis, population wellness, and it all falls under the broader concept of digital health. For all the research diagnostics and treatments out there, it will be digital health platforms that pull all that information together and create better outcomes that are affordable and accessible to all. We are excited to be one of the firms leading this charge.